in the morning, love And the sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning, love I can do an intro <laughs> I can do an intro <laughs> Come on, Kingsley, sing it. Just one look at you. And what? Sing it, man. Come on, ready? Huh? Uh, two, three. Uh, don't give up my day job. <laughs> lovely day. Don't give up my day job. Good morning. Today is today the 18th. Oh, 19. Today is January 18th, and this is the Urban Talk Radio 103.5 FM, W-A-N-H-H-L-P, where you will hear conversation, information, education, inspiration, and motivation from the American urban perspective. I am your host, Kinsley Osei, and my co-host, Shifik, is definitely on time today. You know it's going to be a lovely day. <laughs> today on Urban Talk Radio, shots fired on that. Today on Urban Talk Radio, you can join the conversation... Okay, you can today on Every Talk Radio, you can join the conversation on Facebook at Bull Minds and Twitter at Bull Minds. Also on my Facebook page, Kinsley O S E I. You could also go to Data Adolf Brown page as well, streaming through all these platforms. You can also stream this show on your smartphone or computer by logging on to newhavenindependent.org. Shafiq, what's popping, my brother? What's good, man? How you doing today? I'm blessed, man. It's a lovely. Whenever Doc is in the building, it's definitely going to be a lovely day. Oh, yeah, this is your too, man. All I hear is this, this Dr. Adolph Brown. This Dr. Adolph. I've been hearing this for, oh, my God, six months. And, uh, my man. You we know almost, me and him almost had a fight. <laughs> no. No. Off the radio. On the radio. I had to calm him down. Man, calm down. He's Dr. Adolph Brown. I said, man, <laughs> calm down. We're going we're gonna to elaborate on that in the show about how <laughs> brothers have to support brothers that's right we, we're going to talk about that one much later. respect you know definitely and um my celebrities just happen to be different you know my yeah. celebrities is not a bunch of rappers you know my celebrity just happened to be an educator how about that excellent we brag different on our celebrities <laughs> <laughs> i'm all for that okay so on that note we're going to do a proper introduction for uh for that um um, Harry, can you run that intro, please? Turn it up. Keynote speaker, Dr. Adolph Brown III, affectionately known as Doc Brown, works with schools and corporations to inspire lives, transform organizations, and improve our world. His honest, humorous, and best practices keynotes and workshops have been commonly described as delightfully different. He has more than 30 years of experience working with issues of mental wellness, social-emotional learning, equity, diversity, and human leadership. His published research has laid the foundation for understanding and addressing the popular empathy gap, as well as the school-to-prison pipeline. Doc Brown's solid content and multiple takeaways ways insightful humor and parables are appreciated and recognized by business leaders teachers administrators students and parents all over the world from extremely humble beginnings with his single parent mother in the housing projects he was the first of his family of five to graduate high school and go on to become a critically acclaimed clinical psychologist award-winning university professor and dean a respected leadership advisor a passionate career teacher educator and a recovering middle school teacher you can also watch Doc Brown as a co-host on the ABC's primetime series, The 
parent test. Dr. Brown considers his greatest accomplishments to be the joyfully married husband of Marla, father of eight kind-hearted children, and grandpa of Aiden and Hazel. All right, folks, get ready. It's time for Dr. Adolph Brown. Nobody ever got an intro like this on this show, ever. I have not. I have not even got an intro on the show. On <laughs> ever. <laughs> Jack, what's popping, my brother? A lot of things, man. Much, much things. Out here, spreading love, lighting insight, like confetti. Man, when I was working in the industry, my peers used to tell me I was the hardest working man, and i never seen a workaholic such as yourself. And um, I've, I've made some notes out here. You know, but um, they may call you a workaholic, but you are actually a smart workaholic. You don't just. Oh, oh definitely, man. I, I rest more than I work. Um, I wouldn't be able to do what I do without resting. I'm a classic introvert. And uh, people don't talk a lot about that. But basically, it's like there's physicists that say we're energy. And energy is neutral until we as human beings make it positive or negative. So like the introvert is that person that doesn't get their energy from other people. You know, I like solitude. I like silence. I actually crave it. You know, extroverts, they get it from other people. They're, they're energized in groups and parties. Mm -hmm. So um, for me to do the work that I do, I got to constantly recharge. So I spend quite a bit of time uh, recharging. And you are running a family business and um, you actually have the help of a team. Oh, definitely, man. Uh, you know, my wife heads this team. It's everything from business and educational consulting to commercial real estate investing, uh, child and family counseling, professional development. I mean, we, we do a bunch, man. Next next time you refer to her as my wife, the boss. Before, <laughs> before she, have, before she get, have you sleeping on the couch in the winter. You don't, you don't that's want right. the couch in the winter, that, bro. That's right. That's right. You know that's right. Big shout out to Marla, man. She's the greatest, man. She is really the And big shout out to uh, Miranda, too, for making making this happen. Um, Definitely. Shafiq, um, you know, you want to, you know, reintroduce yourself as well? Um, have Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Shafiq Abdusabar. Um, and I'm the hardest working man. No. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Because I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, so I'm Shafika Bustabar, um, you know, right now I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a candidate for public office. I'm going to leave it at that for the city. Um, Congratulations. I, my, by trade, by trade, I'm a public servant. Amen. I, you know, author of Black Man's Guide to Law Enforcement in America. So I'm a published author. I publish a oh, lot of yes. theories. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. What? Come I'm on. Come on. Did Kingsley tell you about <laughs> we, 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 my team? We were the first uh, people to empirically investigate and research the school to prison pipeline. Wow. All, all the way back in the early 90s. Wow. So, yeah, wow. man. Yeah. And Zach, you, know how I, you know how I love to share my resources with people and actually introduce you to, he spoke on the phone. If he never followed up, that's on him. <laughs> you know, but I, remember, I recall we was at the Cigar Lounge. And, you um, were, I, you were, you down in Maryland. I called, you, Maryland. I, I, I called you directly um, from yeah, there. You, you know, did. so. You had the Hennessy all over you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you say, you say, that's yeah, right. man. That yeah, inspires. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so after this, let's make sure that we actually really connect. Um, definitely, definitely. And, and get the face-to-face -face because uh, hopefully today we'll talk 
more about um, the school to prison pipeline. Definitely. And, and how do we, you know, how, how do we address things like the test scores and kids coming to school and, you know, where are we headed, man? You know, uh, well, um, let's and, jump and, in it. Yeah. You know, and I'm gonna just, I'm gonna lead with this one. Um, there was a report that came out, I think it was like over the last month and said that there are less African-American homeowners in the United States than there were in 1965, right? Um, and so, you know, we went from owning property as a, as a culture um, or, or ethnic group or economic group of people to not being homeowners, right? And some of the philosophies in the past have been America's for the landowner and the voters. And um, I think Dr. Adolph, you can certainly understand the equity that what, what that's, what, what level of social equity that brings when you are a homeowner and you vote, because that's normally where the elected officials and the candidates go to, right? They go with the homeowner because they got equity, Definitely. community equity, and they know they're going to vote, right? And Definitely. if they do vote, you got both. And so you got, and, um, so, you know, and there's, there's a, something, go ahead. Yeah. And there's an assumption that comes with the homeowner, a certain su assumption of values and mores um, that, that come with that. And when you talk about equity, I think that's a term that we throw around quite a bit. But I, I really like people to understand, everyone to understand what we're talking about when we say equity. I use a, a marathon. A marathon is 26.2 miles. And then I stop and I say, that's it's only 26.2 miles for everybody who starts at the starting line. Where I started, I didn't even hear the gun go off. Mm. So... You know, that I, people in my community just started running and in my community, you don't ask questions, you just run. But, mm. you all, but you'll also have people start a few inches from the finish line. So when we talk about equity, we're making sure that everyone is able to run this race. And if we're talking about equity, we're talking about making sure that the distance is the same. But then it, then it, it goes from the system to the individual. Then, you know, I don't have shoes. And if you run the race in your brand new Nike Airs, and I'm running barefoot, then, you know, there's a disadvantage for me. That's right. And and I mentioned this to say, when we talk about home ownership, particularly for black and brown people, we did not start at the starting line. That's right. That's right. We, 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 did, we started way behind and then we caught up. And what happens in these games, once you catch up, they change the rules. Yes. So, so we got to do, we got to come at it from an individual perspective. We also have to come at it from a systemic perspective. So that's why I'm so glad that you are that policymaker and going to be yes. that lawmaker. So thank yes. you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, here's the thing, Dr. Adolph, um, since we, since we threw the police thing out there, uh, cause I had a, this conversation with somebody the, uh, the other day and I said, you know, what we need to understand when we talk about um, a term that I've, recently discovered and have embraced a little better. Uh, the Justice Department actually refers to this around their model for crisis intervention. They talk about concentrated poverty. And, you know, having been in law enforcement and, and been a law enforcement executive trying to come up with policies around crisis intervention, I'm always in a room with other law enforcement officials, like I was in San Diego early this year, and um, San Francisco, and they and, and I'm in a room with 500 like police chiefs and executives, and they're like, 
Why is so much gun violence? Why is so much? Nobody. Oh, there's too many guns on the street. Oh, people are just conflict resolution. It's COVID. It was like, no, dude. 95% of the people you're talking about right now are African-American and Hispanic. 35% of them was like Hispanic, of the, of the population you're talking about. The remainder is African-American, you know, roughly uh, uh, something like, you know, 60, 65%. But you're talking about gun violence in areas of concentrated poverty. I've said this. Yeah. Poverty breeds violent crime. Not the people. The environment is an environment that produces a result of it being violent crime. You but here's are, the other thing. You're, you're spot on. Here's the other thing. What's also interesting is concentrated poverty is also an attractant of, of I would say, um, how would I say, the misrepresentation of how government handles other people. Exploitation. Right? Um, and so in the concept of when we talk about people say, oh, the police shoot all these people and they shoot all these people, unarmed men, unarmed men. The police don't shoot all these unarmed men. Most of the unarmed shootings of police officers of the shooting of unarmed, both white men, black men, and Hispanic and Latino men, right? they are from concentrated poverty. Well, you, you know, they call it concentrated poverty, I guess, from a law enforcement perspective, and that tends to be pejorative to people with uh, lesser means. In sociology and psychology, they call it closed-quartered living. Mm. And closed-quartered living basically reinforces what you just said, uh, the values and, and various things that come from middle-class society, so to speak. If, you know, if I don't know that I'm supposed to bring my garbage can in after the trash people come and get it, then I can look over at my neighbor and say, oh, my neighbor brought their garbage can in. So mm. I'm, I'm supposed to do that. So, you know, more is caught than is taught, not just in families, but in communities. Mm. Close quartered living, what does it do? What does it do inside our homes when you have six or seven families living in uh, a three bedroom or two bedroom children oversee things that they shouldn't see they overhear mm. things that they shouldn't mm. hear mm. you know weapons somebody that may have one it may a child may have access to it so closed quarter dwellings and, and we see that as you said concentrated poverty is closed quarter dwellings mm. Mm. so if, if we really want to do something uh, about it then you know let's integrate communities that's and, correct and, and and not just talk about it and apply lip service to it but let's do it but instead we still segregate and we don't segregate all the time based on sin, uh, skin color but it comes from that origin because it's economics now mm, yes yes it is Alrighty, so we have dr adolph brown a co-host of the parent test and also the author of real talk because that's what we do we give you the real 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 talk um doc we have a lot to cover um no you guys just went top of the head like we really do um so if they did hear the intro it was a lot to process out of that intro let's start off with your um talk about your upbringing i was fortunate to meet your mother at um, a birthday party that I had to come DJ at, uh, at, um, in Atlantic City. And if I got to check off some of the things off my list for a DJ that I wanted to accomplish, I DJ with your mom dancing. 
Yeah, she was jamming. Hey, I, I, I had your mom dancing. So she was let's jamming. About, let's, how's she doing, by the way? She's well, thank you. Awesome. Now let's talk about your upbringing. Okay. Um, my mom and dad were married over 20 years, 21 years, and we were solidly middle class. Uh, my dad woke up one day and said, I don't want this anymore. Mm. So, so my dad, um, people immediately like beat my dad up for that. But, you know, talk about the lack of mental health for black and brown people. My dad had no idea what a midlife crisis was. Mm. He didn't know what was happening to him, but he woke up and said, hey, I don't want this anymore. So um, he moved to another state back with his mother and father. And we went from solidly middle class to inner city poverty overnight. My, my oldest sibling and only brother Oscar became my hero. Um, he was murdered when I was 11. And um, that's when my life changed. Uh, I wish it would have been one of those wonderful stories where, you know, my brother's death caused me to walk the straight and narrow, but it did the opposite. I was enraged. I was angry at the world and um, became gang involved, actually led a gang and uh, wasn't was a smart student, but um, didn't care too much about anything. In fact, my grandparents stepped in my life more so after my uh, dad left. They were farmers. And uh, my granddad only had a third grade farm school education. But to this day, Kingsley, he's the wisest man I ever met. Mm -hmm. And he told me uh, when I was wilding out, he said, you know, you know what your issue is? He said, you don't fear death because you don't love life. Mm. He mm. said, I, I didn't fear death. I was putting myself in harm's way every chance I got. He said, but you don't love life. So what he started to do and the people around me is they started giving life meaning for me. I started doing things. I became a boxer, a really good boxer. Uh, I became a martial artist and wrestler and track and field. I started getting involved and in, in developing what we don't talk about enough. It's called multiple role identities. You know, when you have a child that's depressed, immediately we want to go, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What people don't realize is that they have multiple roles at any time. At any time, one of your baskets with your eggs in it can be crushed. So Kingsley, I know you're a father. I know you're a husband. I know you're a great friend. I know you're a son. I know you're a brother. Those are all separate baskets. So at any time, and, and you're a community advocate, community, you know, so anytime, just say in the community, people are giving you a hard time and you're like, you know, get, you get that headache from people that just don't, don't understand your mission. So when that basket is challenged, if that's all you got, then of course, depression is a likely outcome. However, when you realize that you are a dad, when you realize that you're a husband and a son and a brother and a good friend, mm -hmm. you have other roles that can help you balance. We don't talk enough about that today. Mm -hmm. In fact, what we do is we want to put all of those eggs into one identity. Mm -hmm. And that's, ex that's extremely unhealthy because we mm -hmm. are multifaceted individuals. Mm -hmm. Man, you got, I'm a, you got me. I'm gonna give you some money. I'm like a. I want collection plate, please. Time out. <laughs> you, man, you know what I'm saying. I'm, I'm speechless. Here's why I'm saying that. Because all my life living in New Haven, I have struggled with people um, wanting me to do what they want me to do, putting me in one facet. 
Oh, you're an activist. I'm not an activist. Oh, you're an artist. I'm not an artist. Oh, well, you're a black artist. I'm not a black artist. I'm just a, I'm a creator. You're yes. Not, and it's like, time out. Um, and as I've gotten older, I'm 55. God bless my soul. I'll be 56 in February 15th, right? All right. Um, and so I've done things in my life. I'm a police officer, run a business, you know, ran for a public office as alder. And the people are like, but why are you doing that? You're a police officer. I'm retired. So why are you doing that? Being a business owner, you're supposed to be doing more police. No, you know, they're putting their rejections right. on you. They're, you know, rejections, unresolved rejections become projected on the other people. So really what, the, what they're saying, Sharif, is they're saying, I couldn't do all those things. Oh. What they're saying is, why is it that you're, I thought you were a police officer, but you also do that? Immediately, they, it, it, it sometimes will trigger uh, deficiencies in other people. It's oh. not about you. It's about what they couldn't see themselves doing. It's kind of like someone, if, if uh, Kingsley as a DJ went somewhere and Kingsley was charging $5,000 and somebody says, man, no DJ is worth that. Kingsley shouldn't take that personally because what that person is really saying is they're not worth it. Okay. And so what I find, I've been able to break through that. It takes a whole routine and I have to develop to get past that because I have to figure out how I'm going to respond to that or not. And you can't leave the door open to stuff, right? And so, but, what, but here's the thing. What I have found is that it crushes young people. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. young people are often the ones that really meet this um, yes. at its face. And especially young people who come from disenfranchised communities, impoverished neighborhoods, um, historically economic um, communities, ethnically and so forth, that somebody goes, Oh, I know you're not thinking about doing that. And you're like, time out, man. You, yeah. you just you just Shereen. snatched the breath out this child. It happens. And and we do it, and we do it on such a derivative, basic level, we overlook it. The kid, the kid back when I was growing up would fight because you stepped on their shoes. And and the world is saying, That's petty. That you got anger right, issues. Right. Guess right. what? Those shoes, those shoes are how I identify. Those shoes make me feel special. Those shoes give me value. And guess what? Is it a shame that that person puts everything they have in those shoes? Mm -hmm. Yes, because of limited opportunities elsewhere. When, when, when uh, people play their music loudly and you're like, that's disrespectful. Guess what? That's what I have for me. That's what mm. makes me feel good. Maybe you can also, maybe you have access to yoga. Maybe you have access to Pilates. But what I have access to is the volume on my favorite song. So we, we stretch this stuff, but it's on a continuum. And, in, mm. and it's not until we get to the derivative level of all the things that we talk about, are, you know, is significant change going to be present? You know, we, we give lip service. But what are we going to do to make it right. Yeah, go Kingsley. Go Kingsley. What you got, man? What you doing? He's on mute. Somebody took his voice away. Off mute. All right. So I'm going to do the station ID before the actually the 11:30, so we could go straight into talking about mental health. 
Uh, this is the Urban Talk Radio 103.5 FM, WNHH. I am your host, Kinsley, also my co-host, Shafiq. And if you are just joining us today on Urban Talk Radio, you can join the conversation on Facebook at Bowmice and Twitter at Bowmice. Also on my Facebook page, Kinsley O-S-E-I. In the studio, we have our very, very, very special guest, Dr. Adolph Brown, your mental health mechanic. And today's topic is school safety and mental health checkup. Mental health checkup. Now, let's get into that, which is what my doc really specializes in. So mental health, everybody talk about mental health, mental health. I mean, it's become the hustle since the pandemic. Something that you have been doing. Oh, yeah, Kingsley. Something my granddad did with a third grade farm school education. Something I saw you and Sharif do when I came on the show this morning. My granddaddy greeted his friends every time he saw them by saying, mm -hmm. what's good? Mm -hmm. that's a mental that's the start of a mental health checkup he'd say what's good or actually he'd say what you know good that's how he said it what you know good my kids actually say what's good or what's goody but the point is Kingsley that's what we should be doing for each other first of all before it gets to a point where it's at crisis mode or crisis level where uh, we have a loved one that needs to be hospitalized we have a loved one that's needs to be detained. We have a loved one who becomes suicidal or maybe even homicidal. So that's what, you know, that greeting, and I saw it in my grandparents, that greeting was the beginning of assessing that person in front of them. Hmm. So emptying your backpack it's one of your favorite saying, and um, I was one time watching you went by the um, by the water, by the sea somewhere, and you went out there with the backpack, and I'm like, what is he emptying out of this backpack? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So talk, uh, about, talk about emptying your backpack. So Kingsley, we all carry uh, an invisible second backpack. Mm -hmm. Everybody. So basically, everybody carries some carry something that you know nothing about. We could sit on this uh, show this morning and talk and bring it, but each of us carrying something that we don't talk about. Mm. And the basic premise of clinical psychology, and I'm a psychoanalyst, the basic premises is we're only as sick as our secrets. That doesn't mean you got to go out and tell your secrets to other people. What it means is you have to know yourself what you're carrying, because if you don't know what you're carrying, your personal storms are going to get those you love wet. It's going to come out. When we talk about children, what happens to that child that's angry, frustrated, irritated, and agitated? If they don't have the words to talk it out, they end up acting it out. Those same children grow up to be adults who, when they don't talk it out, when they carry it around, it eventually comes out. And that's exactly what happened in the pandemic. We were all already carrying stuff individually. Maybe my load, Kingsley, wasn't as heavy as your load. Maybe, Sharif, you had a heavy load. But and, and, and that's individual. But then the pandemic happened to the entire world mm -hmm. and it dumped stuff in everybody's backpack. And then guess what? Stuff started coming out and we started bleeding on people who didn't cut us. Next up, I went to your website and I found some stuff out there and I made notes of it. Why do some people get depressed after major accomplishment and major mile milestones? 
because they put all their eggs in that one basket. <laughs> Remember that we talk about having multiple baskets. Yes, Sharif, yes. Sharif, listen to it, Sharif. It's, uh, it's, Shaf it's Shafiq. Shafiq, Shafiq. I'm sorry, Shafiq. Oh, with Sharif, man, listen, I'm no, no, you, man. I, no, look, I got nothing but love for you, baby. <laughs> Thank I'll you. My glasses. <laughs> look, Kingsley, the, the font is so small. I apologize. <laughs> about that. Don't worry about that, man. So, so, so the point is, listening to you. Uh, and how people don't understand all the different baskets you have, guess what? It's not for them to understand. What they think about you is none of your business. And the point is, that's an issue not only for adults, Kingsley, but that's an issue that we have to address for our children. Because the moment, you know, you can actually be so concerned about what people think about you that you become a stranger to yourself. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. So, so, so you, we all have to have those multiple roles and, and it makes relationships. It makes a marriage so much easier when you know that if we got a little stress in our marriage, then guess what? I also like the music. So I'm gonna go chill with some music. That's right. You got other things. And mm -hmm. so Kingsley, what happens, you know, you guys have been calling me Dr. Adolph Brown. Guess what? I earned a doctorate. I earned a doctorate. Doctor is not who I am, it's what I do. There is a difference. Mm. So, so, what people will do, Kingsley, they become a doctor and they won't let anybody call them outside of that. You call them hey, a Dutch doctor. Well, that's that's what I do. And guess what? I'm, I'm doing it on this uh, with you this morning. But guess right. what? When, when, when it closes, guess what? Marla and I are going to eat some lunch, have a glass of wine before I travel. That's not right. doctor gotcha. stuff. Gotcha. It might, le might lead to some other stuff. But the mm. point is, <laughs> but the point <laughs> is, <laughs> but, but the point is, they, we, well, put yeah. our, we put everything in one basket. Yeah. And when that when something challenges that basket or that basket is threatened either by um, mm. life, haters, mm. trolls, when everything's in that basket, Kingsley, you're devastated. So that okay. basket, doctor, um, I, I would say, you know, what's really interesting is I don't think that applies to all culture. When I was. So I, the, one of the things I model, so I'll give a secret to people who are like us, the inside to Shafiq, right? One of the reasons I believe I do the things the way I do it, I went to school up into the fourth grade in New Haven, an all black public school. The fifth grade, I went to a predominantly white Catholic school in Westville. We call it St. Aidan's, and it's in the Westville area, suburban, definitely suburban area still. It's okay. And one of the first things, because I wasn't good at reading, I had struggled with reading uh, and comprehension. I had a lot of stuff going on in my mind in my house. But one of the things that I really liked, obviously, was pictures. So for me, reading was pictures. If it had pictures in it, I'm in. If there's no pictures in the book, you can keep it. And I remember them showing us a picture of the Renaissance in Europe, the Renaissance. And they were talking about this art, and I loved art. They started talking about the Renaissance and the Renaissance man. And that always stuck with me since the fifth grade, the Renaissance and the Renaissance man. It was the man that was an artist, a writer, a, 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 a musician, um, a thinker, a philosopher. Uh, all. And so I've always lived my life as a Renaissance man always looking to revolutionize yes. and find a creative cutting edge to something and, and live, live outside those other spaces. I don't, 
see all cultures doing that with some student. I think that when kids are in survival modes in society, That's, yes, you don't get to do all of that. It's like, look, go to school, get an education. Right. But I want to <laughs> go to school and get an education. But yep. I want, no. listen, you exactly. don't have no time for an education. You're going to stay home. You're going to take care of so-and-so because if you don't, we got to turn the lights off. So your education goes there. Oh, well, I'm good at track. I don't care you're good at track and you can make the Olympics. You got to come home after school and take care of your grandfather. So, right. our- so what, ha- what happens is destination's disease. So what you just described to me, becoming a Renaissance person, uh, basically, you know all the opportunities at your fingertips and, and you're not afraid of that journey. But with limited opportunities and foreshortened future for many black and brown children, they get what's called destinations disease. So they don't enjoy anything often because they're holding their breath. I, I can't wait to graduate. Once you graduate, what happens? You move the goalposts. Now and I can't wait to get a job. I hold my breath. I can't wait to find Mr. Right, Mrs. Right. I can't wait to find the right job, the right, get this car. So yeah, you're right. And it's not necessarily because they don't want to. It's a society, a society that makes it look as if opportunities, those Renaissance opportunities don't exist for me. Now, Doc, um, I'm meant to know what it, this is how me and Doc met. It's funny why, you know, he was differentiating when he's a doctor and when he's not. Uh, I recall when we first met, when we collaborated with United uh, Way for um, the Youth Summit at the Bridgeport Arena. And um, I met Marla, his wife, and I guess I was talking her to death. And she ran to go tell Dr. Adolph Brown that he needs to meet this guy. <laughs> and you know, I did promotion and marketing for record labels. So if you, whenever you're in the game of marketing, what we do is we talk. We like to talk <laughs> until you censor us, right? <laughs> and um, we met. And um, Doc, you know, I bought a book. He signed it for me. And um, we followed up. And he said, you know what? You and I have so much in common. I'm like, yeah, we do have much in common, but I think you are smarter than me. Let's get it clear. <laughs> you, you know, and um, going forward, he told me, he said, Kinsley, do not refer to me as Doc anymore. From now on, you refer to me as fam. I think it was one of the greatest thing anybody ever. It was the realest thing anybody ever told me that, look, don't refer to me by my title. Refer to me as fam. Doc, you, I, I don't think you have any idea what that meant to me. Well, you know what, Kingsley? I, I think it's a detriment uh, in our culture, especially because so many things have been withheld for us from us that when we get it, we hold on to it for dear life. And that's, <laughs> it's kind of uh, a movie I saw once with uh, Sidney Poitier, which he had got the education. He could speak the Queen's English. But the moral of the story was he was still treated as a second-class citizen, black man. So what happens is when you hold on to all those things, Kingsley, and then you realize that society still treats you as a second-class citizen, right? you can become depressed. You can become suicidal. <laughs> Guess what? You can even become homicidal. And uh, Shafiq, talk about homicidal, becoming homicidal. When you become homicidal because of the issues you're experiencing in society, you go home to your closed quarter dwelling with those that homicide, homicidal ideation 
ideation and and uh access guess who gets the brunt of your rage people who look like you so these are issues that we don't talk about enough you know we we, we can skirt them and and talk about them broadly but if we're really gonna address it we, we got to go to the deepest level of it and that's I'm enraged about how I'm treated, um, how I'm profiled, how teachers uh, don't want me to come to school. Mm-hmm. Not, not, they're not, not necessarily, some teachers aren't necessarily teaching me. Some teachers don't want me in the classroom. And these mm-hmm. kids know that. Mm-hmm. And then I go home into my closed quarter dwellings, or as in you say, concentrated poverty with all of this rage. And guess what? Guess what? That catharsis, that release happens in that community. We're gonna keep moving forward with the um, stuff that leads to mental health. Um, the importance of working smart, getting your necessarily uh, rest. Elaborate on that, Doc. Oh, definitely, Kingsley. I couldn't do what I do um, I, if I didn't rest. I kind of wish that um, in our culture, we didn't brag so much about grinding. You know, that, oh, I'm on the grind. You know, I, I got to get it. I got to get the bag. I'll sleep when I'm die. And, and that is so, so unhealthy. It's so maladaptive. Do you ever see, have you ever heard Bill Gates or uh, uh, in, uh, any of these other guys talk about, I'm on the grind. I don't sleep. I'll sleep when I die. Guess what? You hear them interviewed on vacation. You don't ever look like, they don't ever look like they're in an office. Because they're working smart, not hard. And guess what? My ancestors worked hard so I could work smart. You know, so every you know, book. I'm sorry. Go oh, ahead. No, you got doctor. Go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep no, going. I, no, Mark, could you pass me that? I, I wanted to share that with Kingsley today. Uh, based on the coloring book. The, the, uh, thank you. It's a comic book. This is a. Uh, the Real Adventures of Captain 85. And, and, and th- this comic book was probably one of the most uh, precious things that ever happened to me. There was a gentleman in my neighborhood who worked with uh, all the entertainers. Uh, when they came to town, uh, he was their first stop. My wife loved Prince. Prince had a walkthrough at a club, which was really funny. For the walkthrough, he only wanted five people in there. <laughs> so my, my buddy closed his club. But of course, my wife, he knew Marla was a Prince fanatic. So Prince and I were able to hang out. Uh, Marla and I were able to hang out with Prince. But this is a, a book, Captain 85. The hero in this book stops crime. He's a crime fighter. He asked me almost 30 years ago if I would advise him. So I'm a character in this book called Professor B. And Mm -hmm. Professor B is this trusted confidant who gives him uh, strategic planning on how to address the mayor, how to address the uh, police commissioner. And, and, And this book is great for children, but when adults read it, they realize that we're actually talking about the real issues. And uh, it's called The Adventures of Captain 85. It can be, uh, we can buy it? Oh, yeah, you can buy it. It's out there. It's, uh, this is his uh, comic book, but uh, comic book version he, he just came out with. But, yeah, his comic book has been on the market for quite some time. The Real Adventures of Captain 85. Keeping it, moving, 
What is the digital detox? The digital detox is putting not sleeping with your phone. First mm-hmm. of all, we we were not designed to take in nearly as much information as we do on a regular basis. Mm. So we'll go on vacation and take our cell phones. So mm. basically you're saying your body needs a vacation, but your brain doesn't. Mm. Talk so, about a, it. so a digital detox is, is not being uh, <laughs> attached to your phone. Well, some, just, doctor, some people go on vacation and they take their phones so they can get a date when they get there. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 I, but guess I, I, back in the day, back in the day, I, I, I think I'd rather, I'd rather see the, I'd rather see the date then swipe to the left or swipe yeah, to the right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's true. That's it. But you know, I just want to add this. This is really interesting, right? Um, so I own a construction company and um, there, there's a thing called the Minority Construction Program that we have here in the city of New Haven. And so when we would go to the, the, um, the, the, the gatherings, like to try to get a contract, you talk to the different people. It was like, if you didn't come in there looking like you worked and you just came off the, 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 the um, job site with, you know, sheetrock all over your head and, you know, your hair is all crazy, you know, paint on your pants, you were not being taken seriously that you were a real Black contractor or Hispanic Latino contractor. Mm-hmm. Yet, that did not hold true for the non-Black Hispanic Latino contractors as it related to the way the government and others looked at you. I, I always pushed back away from that, which mm-hmm. was, I'm a businessman and why do I have to look like that? But even when I did that, I got treated um, even more different because it was like, oh, well, you're trying to, you're scamming or you're doing something different. It's like, no, this is what you just said. Business people, look a certain way to do business. We're doing business and we're not doing work. And so it seems like there's a, in that concept of a double standard. Yeah, it is. We have to look, you know, it's like, you're supposed to look, I've got to put on my game face. Yeah. But you know, to really show you that I'm, yeah, you know what I mean? So how do, how do we navigate, how do we help people, um, because now we're in an era where people are trying to shed those things. How do we help people shed? Well, first of all, we have to realize that it's a it's a reality that in the world we're actually all of us are judged based on how we speak and how we present. That that's what our brain does for everyone. Now, when you talk about stereotyping, that's when the brain takes past information and tries to predict who you are based on it. First of all, the brain doesn't help us to be correct. The brain helps us to be efficient. So I remind people all the time. That's a part of my master classes. I remind people, uh, you can't believe everything you think because the brain wasn't designed to help us to think. The brain was actually designed to help us not to have to think. So we have to tell young people and be honest that you are judged based on how you speak and how you present. However, however, if there's not a seat for you at the table, then you have to build your own table. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I start. I start by saying, don't complain about what they're not giving you. Go out there and get it. Collaborate with others who need it. Yes. And then buy theirs. Yes. I'm saying buy the company. Can you guys see my screen? Yes. So on the, on the screen, um, if you are 
listening to the radio and you're not watching us on our Facebook, I have on the screen our balcony family. In the balcony is a podcast, one of its kind, um, which one of my favorite topics of in the balcony is uh, accountability partner. Um, Doc, talk about in the balcony, the taping of in the balcony and what this podcast is all about. In the balcony uh, is a phrase in the balcony that those are the people in your life that are screaming at you, yelling, cheering you on, telling you that you can do it. Those are the old ancestors saying, keep on keeping on. However, you can't talk about balcony without talking about basement, just like you can't talk about love without talking about evil. In the basement are people that their backpacks are so heavy. They're not really evil people or bad people. They're just, their backpacks are so heavy and they don't know how to unpack them. So oftentimes these are the people who are just critical of others. These are the people who wake up every day looking for an opportunity to be offended. And in the balcony, we don't have that. We're not, we're not saying that we don't have basement moments, but our total goal is to shed what's, hate, what's weighing us down and ascend to the balcony and pull others with us. And like I mentioned earlier, as I said, one of my most important topics, which uh, we are at episode 92, and you are actually planning to take us um, around the world on episode 100. That's right. That's right. That's right. So accountability partner, Kingsley, yes. is, is what everyone could benefit from. That's a person that's going to tell you the truth, even if it hurts your feelings. Definitely. That, that, that's a person, I, I guess I can give better examples uh, in our time today. I kind of wish Whitney Houston had an accountability partner. Yes. I, I wished um, uh, Prince had a, an accountability partner. Yes. A, and, the, and the list goes on and on. I wish DMX yeah, had an account. Yeah, I wish that's he had a, do, somebody somebody to say, you know, you know, stop robbing, stop using, you yeah, know, yeah. rapping about it, but you don't have to be about it. So, yeah. so the point is, accountability yeah. partners are people in our life who are not yet yes people when it comes to things to yeah, our ena enable enablers I mean, exactly you need, yeah you need, and you have to have you know what you know people talk about real talk but you got to sometimes um you know you got to know you, you need you, i use it in an easier way therapy is very important i was a police officer and i've had a therapist um a licensed therapist for for over two decades beautiful um and i've always not tried to act like it's, it's not okay to see a dead body. That's not okay. In fact, I just share this if it's okay, Kingsley. Um, I've talked to two people in the last two weeks. One was my mother and one is another young man that's about 35. Um, maybe he's about 35, 40. He spent a considerable amount of time in prison. And my mother, who's 71. My mother saw a young man who was shot in the city as he was I guess, going through the process of dying. She, when she told me the story, she said, I'd not recognized it was a person. I thought it was book bags. She said, I didn't realize that it was a person until the ambulance people jumped out. She said, and they didn't have their bags and they started pushing on the book bags. And I realized it was a little boy, right? Um, the other young man or another person shot right outside his door and he came outside at the beginning of the year he said he saw a brother on the sidewalk having a seizure. He said, and I didn't understand what was going on. I kept saying, why is this brother out here having a seizure with all this blood around? He said, I didn't realize that he was shot and dying because my mind didn't process that. Wow. I talked to another person. They talked about shootings and people getting shot in their neighborhood and dying. 
when I asked them how they was doing, the, the grown parent, they said, oh, I'm fine and my kids are fine. It happens all the time around here. Well, you so, know, I'm, so, so, so we're living in a society that is struggling when they don't have the proper resources to, to address this stuff, whether it's the resources, leadership or whatever, yeah. they default back to, well, it's okay. Right. And so I think about what well, well, said what, what, there, and all these they, other... Yeah. That, that's that's a that's a you know protective mechanism, and, and Shafiq, I wish that that you and Kingsley would actually take what you just said, that that you, as a former police officer and police executive, you know, basically understands the utility of therapy. I'm a crisis interventionist. Um, in Virginia, we call it um, critical incident stress debriefing. Yes, yes, it, yes. It's it's when police officers and first right. responders see things or go through things. Yes. The great majority of those individuals don't see the utility, don't see the benefit. The fact that right. you just said that could be uh, the, the best commercial for our country. Right. The fact, right. because it does affect you. And yeah. even though you say it doesn't bother you, it's every day, it does. Yeah. And the reason you don't acknowledge it, the people that you're talking about don't acknowledge it in this every day because it hurts because it would be excess baggage for them to carry and they wouldn't be able to fully participate in their activities of daily living. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we got two more things we're gonna cover before we hit that uh, 12 o'clock hour. We didn't touch on school safety yet, but for right now, we're gonna talk about the parent test, which you are a co-host of. Let me play this trailer and then let's talk about it. Parenting. Everyone's got an opinion. Mom and dad come first. I completely disagree. But which way is the right way? What do you say to people that say you're too hard on her? I say, and what about it? I want to know why my house looks like a nuclear power plant explosion and your house looks like that. How do you parent in today's world? 12 parents invited us into their homes to allow us to film how they parent. All in search <laughs> of today's best parenting style. Every morning at 6 o'clock, they have egg for breakfast. We're not that crazy. This is the parent test. We're hella off the parents. We have a new age approach. Our strategy is intensive parenting style. We're putting each parenting technique to the test. I can't do it. <laughs> You want me to do it? Yeah. <laughs> I wish desperately that I had a dad like that. We're looking for the style you think is effective and the one that you want to see more of. This rock climbing challenge fits right into my high achievement style. I'm going so high that I'm sweating. Keep going. Yay! You're cooking. We're supervising. I'm going to be like Chucky. Cutting off your bones. A show of hands of parents who spank. Wow. I grew up in an abusive home. I never want my kids to feel the way that I felt. This is exactly why we created this show for every discussion we're having right now. It's for all of us. Discover the joy, stress, heartbreak, beauty of parenthood. You must say yes to whatever your kids ask for. As parents face the ultimate challenge. Your Oh, boy. We're in such trouble. The Parent Test. Special premiere Thursday, December 15th on ABC. So for our radio listeners, we were just watching a trailer from The Parent Test 
um, which is still streaming on ABC, Disney, on Hulu. Um, Doc, how did you land this gig and why were you the perfect candidate for this gig? I was doing a Stop the Violence uh, campaign, huge, in uh, Vegas. And I hope they stop calling it Stop the Violence because exactly. we, we, could minimize, we could minimize the violence. But we can't exactly. Stop. So keep going. So it was called Stop the Violence, and um, it was sponsored by my brother's keeper mm. in, in Las Vegas. And we had about, I don't know, 20,000 people there. And I left, I left the stage after presenting a master class, and a woman came up to me and said, how come I haven't heard of you? And in my introvert brain, I said, I haven't heard of you either. I just said it to myself, though. And uh, she said, uh, she said, I'd like to get to know you. And we were on our way to the airport. And uh, she gave me her card. And I kind of just stuck it in my book bag. And she saw me do that. And then she ran me down and said, hold it, hold it. Give me your card. And she took my card. Her name was Jackie Stern. And I didn't know anything about her. And, you know, I was on tour for another week and a half. I came home. Miranda told me that uh, an agent called and wanted to work with me. And, you know, I would get calls like that throughout the year. And most of them were, you know, <laughs> it, I, I didn't necessarily believe what was going on. Mm -hmm. So we talked and we actually even met. And she, gave, you know, brought this my way. And I said, you know, this is value added. And I told her that I'm real talk. I love theory. I write books. Um, however, I'm real talk. I, when when I'm when I go somewhere, I pride myself on the fact that the scholar can understand, but so can my friends in the parking lot of 7-Eleven. So uh, I said, I'm real talk. And she said, well, this would be an opportunity for you to be real talk. So that's how I, I'm doing it. And I'm real talk on it. I mean, I talk about things, Kingsley, that we don't talk about. Yes. When people say talk about parenting and talk about motherhood and fatherhood are the most important things in life well you have to realize that you know you brought zariah into your life she didn't bring you into hers right so you have to nurture uh your wife and your wife nurture you mm -hmm. and then two healthy parents can rear a healthy daughter mm -hmm. so I, you know i talk about those things that we take for granted i also make sure that i keep it um the CS degree, and that's common mm -hmm. sense. And that's, yeah. a, that's a degree that um, is often overlooked. You know, parents ask me all the time in the airports now, Dr. Brown, what book, uh, what parenting book should I get for my child? What? And I tell them, uh, make sure you get the book with your child's photo on the cover. All right, okay. So, um, Doc, we're gonna buy 10 minutes from you, but before we do that, we're gonna close out on the radio. And then I'm going to buy 10 more minutes to um, just talk about school, uh, school safety and what this masterclass thing is all about, your edutainment, all right? Um, this is the Urban Talk Radio 103.5 FM WNHHLP. I am your host, Kinsley Osei, and my co-host, Shafiq. And if you are just joining us on the last part of our show, you can follow the conversation on Facebook at Bow Minds and Twitter at Bow Minds. Also on my Facebook page, Kinsley O-S-E-I. You can also stream this show and previous shows on your smartphone or computer by logging on to newhavenindependent.org. I believe we are at SoundCloud just as well. Thank you for joining us. Remember, Urban Talk Radio airs every Wednesday at 11 a.m. And we do thank our very special guest, your mental health technician, Dr. Adolph Brown. If you are watching us on Facebook, 
please give us 10 more minutes to talk about school safety. School safety, Doc, um, there was an incident that just happened right in your backyard at um, you at Virginia Beach and it happened at Newport News, AKA Bad News, Virginia. So how do you know that, Kingsley? That's an in-town thing. <laughs> Doc, you remember? Do you, re do you remember when me, you, and uh, my wife and Marla, we had dinner? That's right. And, and, and when you brought us out to go eat at Virginia Beach, remember I was telling you that I had an ex-girlfriend from Newport News. <laughs> and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, New Newport News is about no more than 20 minutes from where I... Uh, where I live, and uh, I have consulted at that school many, many years ago. Uh, Kingsley, school violence is often, I mean, we talk about metal detectors, we talk about see-through backpacks. Um, before before you get into that, let's talk about this little kid that brought a gun over there to shoot that teacher and then, and then go into that. Please. Sure. Well, it starts at home. That's where I was going. It's, it starts okay. at home. And when I say home, please don't assume that I don't realize that there's some children yes. that, that aren't coming from homes. But right. it, but it, but what I'm saying, it starts before it gets to school. And oftentimes, not in this child's case, but oftentimes the violence we see in school originated in the community. Right. And it comes to school. So with this child, Kingsley, this child, uh, that you know, they're still investigating, but this child had access. This child didn't just have access. Uh, this child also knew how to use a gun um, and was probably told, I mean, in, in gun safety, they tell you, don't point it at anything that you don't want to destroy. And, and this child, they say, intentionally shot the teacher. So I would say, Kingsley, where were the warning signs? Mm -hmm. What were the warning signs? You don't oh, wait, you, you don't wait to the last, uh, you know, the last ending to, to, you know, bring out all the stops. There had to be warning signs. This, right. a child, a child at six years old, they verbalized something. They've told somebody. In fact, the day of the shooting, the child told others that they were going to do something. Mm -hmm. They patted the child down, excuse me, they checked the child's backpack and they didn't find anything. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, defaulted and said the child, the gun was on his person. So the point is, Kingsley, it starts at home. When we talk about ending or slowing down the violence, Kingsley, it's in our communities. I, when I was growing up in my community, in my inner city project community, there, there was kind of a, a, a thing where parents told their kids, you know, you don't, you know, you're not going to kill such and such as kids. You're not going to fight. The, you're not going to fight each other. You're going to work it out. How right. many how many parents are saying that these days? You know, I, I think we've defaulted to, you know, if somebody brings it, you finish it. Right. And we that that's an ideology that yes, we can, you know, do something about it as individuals, but Shafiq, as politicians, as community leaders, we have to look at what feeds it. Mm. So when we look at how does that happen, why is that happening? Yeah, guess what? I have free will. Everybody has free will, but right. we're putting in, we're put into a system that may intentionally or unintentionally be designed to cause us to keep starting the race, a race that's twenty two or twenty six point two miles, a race that's taken us fifty miles to finish. Mm. Wow. 
But where are where are our SROs? I mean, King, King, the research Kingsley doesn't um, it actually says that SROs, the presence of SROs, is effective. Mm -hmm. But overall, SROs, metal detectors, <laughs> those are not the the cure. <laughs> those are considered band aids. If if you really want to talk about it and do something about it, you got to start where you're what you're doing, Kingsley. And and that's why it's so lonely out there because it's hard work and you don't see too many people raising their hand to help you in the trenches, Kingsley, because that's where the true change comes. Mm. So here's here's my thing. Yeah, here's what I say. You know, I always look at when I dealt with um addressing things like violence prevention, I always look at show me a place where it's not happening. Tell me all the things that they have around that community in that school system. And don't talk about the money. Talk about the things they have. And then show me the things in this other community that they don't have. So what you'll find is are you accounting um, for are you accounting for race in this uh not analogy? always race, not always race, right? Because I I used to live in um in Georgia and I used to live in um what was it? I think it was um um Buckhead. In that mm -hmm. area, Buckhead College Park area, high rent district. Black people, <laughs> black people, affluent, no violence. You go down in Decatur, uh, violence. You go to Fulton County, more violence. Black people, black cops, black criminal justice system. Black people going to jail. Black people getting beat up by the police. Right? So, so, so is it possible that the the resources that they have equated to more opportunities? Correct. So, so I just look at things like, I'll just give you an example, like COVID, right? Um, when COVID happened, some people had, who, who could afford it, had high-speed internet, because maybe they run their business from home. They had more space in their house. They might have had exercise equipment. They may have had specific spaces in their house that they used to decompress, pray, meditate, or whatever. But if you live in a densely populated community um, that's low income, you, everybody's sharing a room with everybody. That's right. Right. And so your space is reduced, which right. creates a different level of stress. Yes. And so, you know, you start looking at that, matching it from community to community. Um, I want something to eat. All I got is carbohydrates, um, you know, or sleep. <laughs> sleep for dinner. Right. There you go. So I always look at it as one way you move away from violence, give people the things that help them thrive get them out of survival mode. That's true. I just feel like we're just, the survival mode creates a one-dimensional person. Definitely. And you have yeah. to become whatever your environment says. Survival you means become. you or me. But I, I right. will tell you what was effective, did prove effective, and it was from a law enforcement perspective. Law enforcement started doing what was called community policing many yes. years ago. Yeah. And, and that actually, um, one, it helped law enforcement see the community differently, but it also helped the community see law enforcement differently. Mm -hmm. And um, I haven't seen as much of it uh, as I saw when I was growing up, when the officers would get out and we could, you know, shoot some ball, you know, kick it. If we were playing soccer, you know, a football, we, we, we kick that. But the point is that, you know, they rolled through with their windows down and weren't afraid to get out. They weren't harassing. Right. We weren't throwing rocks, but community policing was that by it was actually um i guess awarded uh 
Oh, yeah. A, a promising practice by the Office of Juvenile Justice Delinquency yes, Prevention yes, yes. on JJDP.org. Yeah. Yeah. Already. So, Shafiq, we got to talk to um, Paul to um, um, and get a feature from. Um, from, from Doc to uh, feature him in New Haven Independent Newspaper. All right, you make that happen on your end. I could trust you to make that happen, Shafiq. Why are you frozen? Are you frozen? <laughs> <laughs> is, is he That's good. Frozen? That's oh. good. That's good. <laughs> oh, okay, um, Paul, uh, <laughs> Paul, if you are listening, we would like to uh, feature Dr. Brown in the newspaper. Was Everything. I frozen? It's, I yeah, think you came across the thing and said, your co-host is unstable, and then I the was, screen got I, frozen. I was, I was asking, I was asking you to tell Paul we got to get. I heard you. I heard you. All right, all right. So, Jack, um, how can we're you trying to bring you to New Haven, man? Where are you at? Where are you at? I'm in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Man, that right. man is that man is everywhere, man. I sent you my contact in the text because Kingsley tried to be. Um, he don't want to share his friends. You see it? You see my contact in the text? Then I watch chat in the chat. You see it, doctor? What does it say? I sent him my name and my phone number in the in the chat. It's in the chat. You you see I, I do see it. Okay. Can so I take, take that down, call me. We're going to work on flying you to, to New Haven. I got something better than an article. How about you getting on the stage and healing some folks? Well, he's um, been to Bridgeport. He's been a, a couple of times. He's been in Norwalk. He's been in Waterbury, New Haven. What are you doing? Stop. New me. Haven is the greatest <laughs> city on the planet. New Haven, get New Haven in the balcony. The city <laughs> the hey, Jack, uh, we're going to bring New Haven into the balcony. That's come on. New Haven has a song. Look you what we got here in New Haven for everyone to see. New Haven, a very you know place what? for you, Abby. Yeah, we got a song, bro. Because <laughs> Fresh was the greatest entertainer until I met Doc. All right, the greatest entertainment entertainer. Hey, right. hey Kingsley, and if you uh, you want to Google something, the very first uh, violence intervention tour I ever went on, I went on it with Dougie Fresh. Mm. Wow, I think mm. you did mention that before. Yeah, oh, you did. Oh, oh, you, you did. You oh did mention about. Yeah, you did. Doug, it was Dougie Fresh, myself, and Jesse, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson. I wanted to talk about the masterclass. We can't do it. So, um, Doc, how can you be reached? I can be reached at docspeaks.com, like the doctor speaks, docspeaks.com. Right. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, have a safe flight, and um, hopefully Shafiq can get you to New Haven faster yeah. than Well, hey, I, why, don't, why don't we all get together and break bread? You know, that's one of yeah. my favorite things to do. Yes, yes, I love it. I'm, and I'm following you on Twitter now. And don't, be, and, and don't be mistaken, Doc turns down more gig than he takes. Don't, <laughs> don't, act, like, don't act like Miranda is not going to do the CSI. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you right now, every money is, every money is not good money to Doc. Let's I'm trying to tell you right Let's now. See, you don't want to turn down this request. You want to turn down this request. You want to you take, you take this offer. I'm just, <laughs> just going to let you every money in good money. <laughs> he says, he's, Kingsley, he says it's an offer I can't refuse. It's an offer you can't refuse. Okay. Hey, can, I'm can, just letting you know. Money in everything is about the money. He wants the money. I don't know if it's a need, but it's got, it's got to fit his mission. I'm just trying to tell you. That, that's real talk. Real I love talk. it. All right. All right so man. get him hey, for free. Listen, I just want to um, thank both of you for uh, having me on your program today. And uh, Kingsley. 
as many of these that I do, you've covered more than any that I've done in the last 20 years. So wow. much respect, much wow. respect. Wow. Thank, thank, thank you. I, yeah. Thank, thank you, you for- Because I've seen that post you put up about an interview that you did and you said it was the best one you did. And no. I read that interview and I said, this is, I gotta know. know how to come with this one. You did, and Kingsley, and thank you. And uh, Shafiq, what Kingsley did is he showed people all of the baskets that I have. Yes, yes. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah listen, man. Great. Listen, how did you say? Thank you, bro. Have a safe trip to our Texas. No, I'm saying? <laughs> appreciate you, man. God bless. Much Kingsley, respect. you done well. Get a new state, Kingsley. That's what I do. Done with. Respect. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Look at that smile. I got a little you. Ibu in me. I got a little Ibu in me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thank Next you. time. All right.